0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service which is already underway and listen to the message. Tonight we're going to complete our study on Jesus and the biblical feasts and I pray that this has been a blessing to you as it has to me because we have seen God's great plan that was accomplished in the New Testament tied completely to the Old Testament. And I think that that has been very exciting to engage in both sides of the Bible that way. It's been very enlightening for us because it affirms what we already know about the God that we serve, that he has a plan, that it's meticulous and detailed, that everyone that's a part of it. He wants to accomplish something through us. He is going to accomplish his plan with our help, and he is going to do it through us himself. Amen. God never intended, though, to send some part of himself, some version of himself, to put humanity back in right standing with him. But God himself, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, became flesh. So that he could give his life for us. And we learned last week that the feast day or the day of atonement was a day of national fasting and rest. That the Jewish people were to deny themselves during the feast of atonement. And they were to rest in what God had promised he would do for them on that particular day. Through the day of atonement, we realized how God was pointing his people ahead to a time when he would once and for all do what only one person could have done one day a year. Jesus Christ became our high priest. Hebrews 4 tells us so powerfully, I want to read it once more. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed Through the heavens, Jesus. I'm going to skip down. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's not God in heaven looking down on us. No, he came down here and he became like us. He suffered with us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm in time of need a lot, aren't you? Absolutely, and we have access to that anytime. We read many verses from the book of Hebrews, Last Growth University, and today as I was studying, I was looking back through those notes, and I counted 15 verses from the book of Hebrews alone that we looked over last week. And the reason I make that point to you tonight is to just help us identify once again that the Old Testament and the New Testament are completely and seamlessly linked together to give us one cohesive message that Jesus died to save you and I from our sins. The writer of the book of Hebrews speaks repeatedly of Jesus as the high priest to make sure that we make that incredible connection. Because Jesus did for us what no one else could have done. He didn't just replace the sacrifice as the perfect lamb by shedding his blood. We learned about that in the feast of Passover. But it was his blood that took the place of that lamb's blood that was sprinkled ...on the mercy seat, but he also, he wasn't just the lamb, he didn't just provide the blood, he was the high priest... ...who stood in the gap for a nation on the day of atonement. Jesus permanently, Hebrew tells us, filled the role of the high priest. We should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted... Above the heavens, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. On the day of atonement, Jesus covered, he atoned every sin of every person that would ever be con- committed. In fact, he did more than just cover them up. He did more than just atone, but the Bible says he removes our sin from us, something the blood of a lamb could not have done, something the high priest could have never done for us, Jesus did that. And so through this profound understanding of what Jesus did on the cross, we again see the clarity of scripture that Jesus did not do away with the law. That is a misconception, that is a misrepresentation of why Jesus came to the earth, but he in fact, Fulfilled all of the law. And I think we do well to take note of that, to be careful in our conversations with people, and even in our personal approach when we study and read the Word of God, that it is important for us to see that God is all over the beginning of this book. He is working for us, He is reaching for us from the very beginning of the Bible. And so finally, we acknowledge the fact that all. Um, that three gospel writers, three out of four, wanted us to understand what happened in the temple the moment that Jesus died because it was so profoundly significant for you and I. That that ginormous curtain, the veil that would have been 60 feet tall and four inches thick, the Bible says the moment Jesus died, it was torn from the top to the very bottom because God's amazing love for us was showing us that there was no longer going to be a separation between him and us because of our sins but because Jesus shed his blood on Calvary you and I can boldly approach the mercy seat we can ask God for forgiveness we can come to him in time of need thank the Lord and so the ultimate expression of his desire was to be in human relationship with us again. Jesus died so that you and I could enter into the holy presence of God ourselves. And so we understand now that the purpose of these holy days for the Jews was more than a ritual. They were more than just traditions. They were more than just days Off, But each of these holidays provided illustrations for them of who Jesus was and what his life's purpose would accomplish. Hebrews 4.9 puts it this way. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's still a rest offered to you and I. Amen. So we want to finish this last, this third and final season of the feast, this season of rest tonight with the festival of tabernacles. Now, like other feasts that we have studied, this particular feast goes by several different names. I am going to interchange them. You pick which one you like best if you're taking notes and just use it. But as we get into the study, you'll understand why these different words all apply to what this feast was about. So, Here are a couple of the names. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Engathering, or the New Living Translation that we're about to read calls it the Feast of Shelters. All right? So, let us look one more time at Leviticus 23, beginning with verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the festival of shelters on the 15th day of the appointed month Five days after the Day of Atonement. This festival to the Lord will last for seven days. On the first day of the festival, you must must proclaim an official day for holy assembly when you do no ordinary work. For seven days, you must present special gifts to the Lord. The eighth day is another holy day on which you present your special gifts to the Lord. This will be a solemn occasion and no ordinary work may be done that day. But wait, there's more. Verse 39. Remember that this seven day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested all the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. Yay! No one's allowed to work. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees. Palm fronds, bows from leafy trees, willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. This is very different atmosphere than the Day of Atonement. Do you remember that? Take a day off and don't eat anything. Wah! Sounds awful. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. Now this is so interesting. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so real quick, sidebar, in this feast we see a common thread with the other six that we have studied previously, that these celebrations were to be celebrated by them personally, within the context of their family, and within the context of their community. These instructions that God gave them became key elements of their culture, and they were to provide a means of sharing their faith in God and sharing what God had done with future generations. With these holidays came this mindset, came this homework, if you will, from God. When you do these things, don't just do them mindlessly, but talk to your family about the significance of what you are doing. And I think we do well as Pentecostals to take note of that mindset that God was establishing with his people because it sends a clear message that we must be, we should be intentional about passing down our faith. Not just to our family, but now we're all part of the family of God and so we can help each other pass on our faith even outside of our own families within the context of our faith community. And so I want to offer some clarity because again, That's a lot of stuff. Some of it repeats itself. So I want to give you three little bullet points here. That the feast began on the 15th day of the seventh month. It lasted through the 21st. So the 15th through the 21st was the Feast of Tabernacles. The eighth day was a special Sabbath day. I love it that it was day eight, as my dad would say. That was his favorite number. But that was party day. It was a day of great rejoicing. It was party time, and I love that God told them to do that. Have fun. You were sad on the Day of Atonement, right? You were mourning for your sin and your awfulness. But now we're going to celebrate and have a party that lasts seven days, and the biggest party is on the last day, day eight. And so the most interesting point I want to make to you is that they were to build small shelters to live in during this festival. It was one giant family camp out. Sounds pretty cool, I think. Do we have any campers out here? People who go camping with their family? No one? Wait, no. Wendy does. Anybody else? Seriously? Big Greg? Yeah, JJ? All right. The LS5 camp, sort of. (laughs) As you can imagine, it's interesting. It's the edited version of camping out, but we try once a year. Father Tom has made it a tradition that um, we have a back-to-school camp out in the backyard. <laughs> Father Tom's idea, not mine. And so everybody has a job, and it's exciting. We're all excited for a couple hours, you know. We, we, uh, Tom puts up the tent. The girls get the sleeping bags out. I take care of all the s'more supplies because that is the most important thing to me. And we're happy, we're great. The gentle glow of the Mac that overshadows the tent as we watch a movie together. And usually, after the movie is over, Emma and I are out. We're like, good night, guys. Enjoy sleeping on the hard floor under the stars because we are allergic to the great outdoors. So it's really in everybody's best interest that Emma and I head back on inside. I'm just not doing it. It's not happening. But the Jews still do this till this day and i think i have a picture i might have a picture okay there it is where they build these little structures and these shelters these tents if you will served two purposes and i think you're really going to like this the first purpose was to remind them of the 40 years that they spent wandering around in the wilderness in tents when they were on the go, they were living that nomadic life because they could not just get their act together and believe God for his promises. But it prompted them to tell their children how God had been their shelter and had provided and taken care of them even when they weren't living right. Even when they weren't disobeying him, or even when they weren't obeying him, God was taking care of them in the wilderness. The second thing that came out of this was that camping out for the week in these booths, as it were, was to remind them of the glorious future that awaited them. These shelters were constructed very loosely, especially on the roof part, so that they could see the heavens from the inside. This was to remind them that their residency on earth was not a permanent one. Like the 40 years in the wilderness, they would not always wander aimlessly on the earth, but someday God would dwell among them forever. Again, the writer of Hebrews points us back to the Old Testament, but this time to Father Abraham to illustrate this for us. In chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed God, What an amazing connection to the Feast of Booths. And so let's look at our four bullet points for the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles. The first one we mentioned when we read the scripture that it was at the end of the harvest season. The hard work had been done and now the land was resting and the people were resting. Number two, this was a time of celebration. Verse 40 says, celebrate with joy. Before the Lord your God for seven days. Living for God is not drudgery, people. And sometimes I ask myself, the way I act, the expression on my face when I'm in public, do people want what I have? I'm not sure sometimes, and that is my fault. Because God wants us to have joy. But God says, have a party for a week. No fasting. Praise God. You cannot have a party without food. Food is the party. Can I get a witness? That is why we come. Come on. Number three, it completed the religious season. Some of you have probably made this astute observation already. This was the seventh feast. And so the number seven often signifies completion in the Bible. After this season of all these holidays that we have talked about, they were completed in a time of rest was the exclamation point that God created for the very end of all of this. And I think that sends a very clear message to us from the heart of God because it represents the last step that we are to take in our relationship of God. And that is one of spiritual maturity. It doesn't mean that we've arrived, you've, you've come to step seven. Congratulations, you're a Christian forevermore. No, that is not what that means, but rather it represents the ongoing process of growing in our faith and resting in God's promises like they were to rest on this feast day. Peter said it this way, grow, oxano, grow in grace and in the knowledge of him. Keep going, keep maturing. And then finally, it was a time of rest for God's People in this final step of God's process, we can learn to rest in who God is, we can reach for all that He has promised us. We see this kind of spiritual maturity through the example of the Apostle Paul, we know that his life was far from perfect. We know that he learned to rest in God and he learned to find contentment in the situation that he was in at the present time. And it is in that reality of spiritual maturity that he wrote that verse that we love and hold so dear. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says even in a couple verses before that, I have learned. In whatever state I am, therewith to be content. We find rest in who God is and in learning to be content with his plan for each and every season of our lives. Through the mountains and the valleys, as we step into this kind of rest that the Bible is creating a picture for us, we can find that in spiritual Maturity. We can be at rest in our souls no matter what we are going through. Have you ever watched somebody go through a valley and you think, how in the world they seem like they're okay? They're getting through this somehow. It is maturing that is happening in their walk with God because after. We go through the new birth. Remember those first few steps we talked about at the beginning. We experience spiritual warfare after the new birth. We take up our cross daily. But then we come to a place in our relationship with God where we realize that he is the goal. He is all that matters. He is no longer just a resource to us to get us through. But we realize he's the source of everything. Everything that we need, everything that we desire, we come to a place of maturity where we say, God, I just want to follow you. And through that understanding, we find rest. And so let's look at Jesus and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle for he is God in the flesh. Amen? He is God with us. Colossians 2 tells us, in him, the fullness of deity dwells. Number two, Jesus will fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles when he returns. Like those booths they lived in during the festival, we living on this earth, this is not it for us. This is not our final destination. This world is not my home, somebody wrote. I'm just passing through. I'm a nomad. I've just got my tent set up here right now, but this isn't where I'm always going to be. And so maybe this summer, let's make some application. If you're camping out with your family or you're around the fire pit and you're making some s'mores maybe you should follow the Hebrews example and tell your family how God led you through the wilderness of your life maybe it was some difficult times that you faced where you didn't know what was going on and you felt like you were going in circles maybe you talk about a time that you didn't know the Lord and you were trying to find him and talk to your family about the faithfulness of God next time you're stargazing say hey there's coming." day where we're going to meet jesus in the air you guys there's more to this life than just this amen maranatha jesus is coming number three jesus is where we will find rest for our souls until we get to that glorious day we don't have to just wait for heaven to be at rest and be at peace in this life thank god but he is our rest Jesus said that he was while he was here in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will, not maybe, not if you're really, really good, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That word rest means to cease from labor. Another sidebar, I think God wants balance in our lives on this side of heaven. And this feast clearly communicates to us that through times of rest, not working, not running around with, you know, like chickens with our heads cut off, it's in those times of rest that we can refocus our souls. We can acknowledge God. That was the purpose of the Sabbath, was it not? To take time to maybe look at the stars and say, God, you're in control. And I'm not living for this life. All this stuff I'm juggling, all this weight I'm carrying. Someday, God, I believe that I will be with you someday. Amen. And so, here is our application quickly as we hasten to our app time. I think you're going to love this. Obviously, the application to us is that Jesus is our rest. And he is our shelter. But eternity with Jesus will be the rest that we have been longing for. I found this verse in Psalms today and I appreciate more than I, than I did before this study. Psalm 61 4 says, Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah, stop and think about that. We were not made for life as we know it now. Our souls were designed to be in constant communion with our creator. Humanity was made in the context of Eden. And just as the fruit of a tree removed us from that amazing existence, so it is that another tree in the form of the cross allows us to someday go back to that glorious existence that was Eden. Hallelujah. Amen? Before we head into our app time, I want to give you just a couple more rituals, traditions, if you will, associated with this feast. Because as we've seen over time, these traditions and some of these applications kind of developed into other things. And a couple of these are very interesting as they relate to Jesus when he shows up at the Feast of Booths. So John 7 verse 2 says, Now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. And so John lets us know that Jesus showed up At such a feast. And so we realize, based on what John shares us, the incredible significance of what Jesus says and does while they're celebrating this feast that they don't realize is all about Him. The first ritual that I want to tell you about briefly was the pouring of water in the temple. This was done in anticipation of the rainy season. The Jews needed the rain, they would need the rain in the future to prepare their fields for plowing. And so they made a special Thanksgiving offering during the Feast of the Tabernacles to thank God in advance for the rain that he was going to send to help them have yet another harvest the next year. And so part of this ritual involved a priest taking a golden pitcher and dipping it into the pool of Siloam. Now, does that ring any bells? Yes, a significant miracle took place there. But he gets that water into the golden pitcher and he takes that water and he pours it out at the foot of the altar as the other priests blew their trumpets. There's our trumpets again. But while all of this is going on, the water's being poured out, priests are blowing trumpets. The Levites and the people would sing from Isaiah 12, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So think of it. This is what's going on in John 7 when Jesus shows up. So this is a high point of the biggest day. It's that big eight day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So people are rejoicing. They're having a party. There's water on the altar. There's trumpets being blasted. And so it's no coincidence that On this day, on day 8, Jesus shows up and says in John 7, verse 37, On the last day of the feast, day 8, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, Will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed on him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was identifying himself as that salvation. The wells of salvation that they were singing about that day. And on that feast day, that eighth day of the Feast of Booths, Jesus stands up and says, I have living water for you. Wow. Quickly then the second ritual for this feast was the lighting of the temple. Now try to get a mental image of this because it's so powerful when Jesus speaks to it. This festival that we're talking about tonight would have brought tens of thousands of Jews to the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And many of those pilgrims, if you will, would have brought lit torches into the city to signify their participation, to signify the celebration that was happening. In fact, Dr. Booker describes it in the book that we're using, and he said the city itself, the city of Jerusalem, would have been lit for miles because there were so many torches present on this day. And so through this ritual, the people were acknowledging their need for light, for sunlight, for God's provision to again bless the ground for a future harvest. They were saying, God, you're our provider. And so you might have guessed already, but it's during that time that Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that powerful? That imagery of the water and the light and Jesus is tying it all to himself. Jesus made it clear during the Feast of Tabernacles that he was the embodiment of everything that they were doing, everything that they were acknowledging God to be, everything they were rejoicing over and celebrating and reaching for, he was in the flesh Jesus had come to give them rest. Jesus had come to give them living water. He had come to be the light and to be the life. Amen. And so let us go to our app time. And you know what the question is. What does the application and meaning of the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, In-Gathering, Shelter, whatever you want to call it tonight... What is the spiritual significance of its meaning in our everyday lives? Let's go ahead and and find somebody that you can talk about that with. Let us come back together and we'll stand. Getting ready to dismiss. There's so much to a study like this. So many things that have meaning to the church as a whole, to the Bible itself. And I think to us personally, if we'll look for it, if we'll let the Lord talk to us through something like this. But for me, within the context of 2021 and the issues that seem ongoing and unrelenting in the world that we live in, one of the takeaways that I offer to you is these three seasons that we talked about of peace and power and rest. The observation for me, the the revelation for me through this series is what the world doesn't give us, the world can't take away from us. No matter how cray-cray they get. The world doesn't give me my peace. If they did, they don't do it anymore. I can tell you that. I learned my lesson a year ago. If Jesus gives us our peace, then nothing can take it away from us. And if the world doesn't give us the power, the empowerment that we feel to live the life that we're supposed to live, if that power comes from the Spirit of God within us, then guess what? The world can go up in blazes, and we'll still have the power of God available to us, working through us. And finally, and probably most importantly, as we have faced a mental health crisis like the world has never seen before, if we receive our rest from the power and presence of God as he so clearly, and I unashamedly have read you many, many verses in this series on purpose so that you could get the message that this is not just some theory, this is the word of God put to good use in practical application that this is not just a bunch of holidays and a bunch of rituals, but God has purpose for everything that he shows us, everything that he would ask us to do. God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to be our rest in 2021. And sometimes the only rest we can find in the day we're living in is to understand that I can look to the heavens like they did through those shelters and say, someday, I'm not going to be here anymore. And the God that led me to this place in my life and kept me through the wilderness when I was a train wreck and going in circles and disobeying, times in my life that have been in a wilderness because I just could not get my act together, if God can lead me through those wilderness experiences, then surely he can get me to heaven someday. Amen. Amen. And so quickly, I just want to recap. I think I have a slide for you to just tie a bow on it for you. These seven steps toward God. The Passover, we invite God into our lives. Through unleavened bread, we repent of our sins. Through first fruits. we are baptized. Through Pentecost, we are filled with the Spirit. Through the Feast of Trumpets, we engage in spiritual warfare. Through atonement, we take up our cross as Jesus did. And finally, through tabernacles, we find and reach for spiritual maturity and find rest for our souls. And finally... And most importantly, I have one more slide for you. The feasts make clear to us exactly who Jesus is. That he is the Passover lamb. He is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the king of kings. He is the word and flesh. Jesus is the high priest. And Jesus is the living water, the light of the world, the rest for our souls. Jesus has got all the bases covered for you and I. Amen. I think we can rejoice in that real quick. Thank you, Jesus. I believe your word is true, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so maybe there's a feast you want to go back and study a little bit more. Maybe there's a feast that you just feel like, man, that really uh, meant something to me. I want to Make some application. I just want to make one more sidebar comment that I was in prayer the other day, and I, was, I just started praying through the feast. It just came to me in prayer. As I started repenting, I just started acknowledging, God, all the things I know I need to do to get my heart right, whether it be spiritual warfare, whether it is finding rest, I can do that through the illustration that the feasts give me, that everything I'm reaching for, everything I feel like I need in this time of prayer, you already are. And so maybe just start declaring, Lord, you're the bread of life. You're the one that took on sin for me. You're the Passover lamb. You stood in the gap. I invite you, God, into this situation, into my life, Lord. Amen. Do you feel that way? Do you feel the power of the revelation of Jesus and what he wants for you? Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, God, for who you are, that when we look to your word, we study these things in depth. God, there is so much more that we can understand about you. God, it makes you so tangible. It even makes you relatable, God, to see you show up at these human celebrations and you watch us, God, do what we know to do and yet you stand there in the middle of all those things and say, it's me. It's me you're reaching for through all of this formality, Lord, through all of the good works that we're trying to do in our lives, Lord. Let us get to that place of spiritual maturity where we learn, to rest in you. That God, when we fight those battles in the spirit, when we struggle, Lord, as we're maturing in your process, God, that we can find a place of shelter in your great presence where you will be everything that you promised you would be. You will do that for us and you want to help us tell other people that they can have the same. I love you and I thank you for your great word. Thank you. For all these wonderful people that have been faithful to your house tonight, now go with us, Lord, and keep us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by The Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about The Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com